So Mark chapter 9 at verse 42. And if anyone causes one of these little ones who believe in me to sin, it would be better for him to be thrown into the sea with a large millstone tied around his neck. If your hand causes you to sin, cut it off. It is better for you to enter life maimed than with two hands to go into hell where the fire never goes out. And if your foot causes you to sin, cut it off. It is better for you to enter life crippled than to have two feet and be thrown into hell. And if your eye causes you to sin, pluck it out. It is better for you to enter the kingdom of God with one eye than to have two eyes and be thrown into hell, where their worm does not die and the fire is not quenched. Everyone will be salted with fire. Salt is good, but if it loses its saltiness, how can you make it salty again? Have salt in yourselves and be at peace with each other. Hard words from Jesus, but words that he wants us to hear. Hey, let's begin by thinking about listening to warning signs. Um, imagine uh, a teacher sitting down with a pupil, uh, saying you need to have focus in class and doing your studies or you will fail. Or, or imagine visiting the doctor uh, and he sits you down and says, well, you need to cut down on these fatty foods and high sugar for the sake of your heart. Uh, or a parent, an anxious parent saying uh, to their child, they don't take drugs because they can kill. Now, these are all uh, different in one sense, but very similar in another. These are all warnings that come from uh, reliable guides, uh, and they're all spoken out of concern for a person's future, and especially when we think in family terms, they're words spoken out of deep love. Now, as we begin, it's important that we hear Jesus teaching on hell in these same terms. We need to hear what Jesus says about hell because in society, uh, hell is regarded by many uh, as comical, um, as a fun place. Um, you've maybe seen uh, the buses going around uh, the city center saying that your mortgage experience can be hell or heaven. You're really diminishing both. Or cynically, uh, you'll find people who imagine that, that hell is an invention of the church so that the church could control society uh, and try and uh, curb bad behavior. Um, and so we struggle um, as a society to know what to do with hell. And in church, sometimes it's the same thing. Um, it, seem, it feels to us as one of those jagged edges that we, we like to smooth over. Sometimes we're anxious about the offense uh, of the gospel and so it's something that we'd rather push to one side. It's not for polite conversation. But we need to hear Jesus as a reliable and a loving guide who, who wants to warn about reality, who wants to teach us why uh, recovering the doctrine of hell is important for us as a church and to see why it matters so much. So let's begin with this. Why? Uh, do we need the truth about hell? We need it because Jesus teaches about it. To be faithful to the Bible and to be faithful to Jesus as teacher, this isn't a topic we can take off the table. Because when you look at the teaching of Jesus um, and you look at 
um, the whole Bible, we realize that Jesus talks about hell more than anybody else uh, in the whole Bible. In fact, more than he speaks about heaven, uh, he speaks uh, words of warning uh, about hell. Uh, And so that leaves us a question. Um, Is Jesus angry? Is he controlling? Is he vindictive? Is he mean? Is he unfit to listen to? And it's where we need to recognize who Jesus is. We need to go to the Gospels. The same Jesus who warns about hell is Jesus who says, I am the good shepherd and I will lay down my life for my sheep. Who says, greater love has no one than this, that a man lay down his life for his friends. And he does exactly that. He is the one who who gives teaching uh, about the good Samaritan, encouraging us uh, to love uh, whoever is in front of us who needs mercy and help. And he demonstrates that in his life. He gives us the the golden rule uh, that societies all around the world have appreciated. Do to others as you would have them do to you. Um, When you read the Gospels, you encounter uh, the compassion, the love, and the mercy of Jesus on page after page after page. Uh, You find him weeping, weeping at the tomb of Lazarus. You find him weeping over the city of Jerusalem, which refuses to repent and trust in Jesus. Jesus is not an angry man. Jesus is the most loving man who has ever met, who has ever lived. Uh, The context here... Well, we find ourselves in Mark chapter 9. Jesus is beginning to teach and prepare his disciples for his journey to the cross. And what's the cross all about? Jesus is going to suffer and die in love and so that rebel sinners like us might be forgiven. That he will endure hell on the cross to save us from hell, to give us the invitation to trust in him and enjoy the glory of heaven instead. So we need to recognize that this is the loving Lord Jesus who's speaking about hell. So why does he speak so graphically? Let's just uh, remind ourselves of verse 47 and 48 to see the graphic language that Jesus uses. If your eye causes you to sin, pluck it out. It's better for you to enter the kingdom of God with one eye than to have two eyes and be thrown into hell where their worm does not die and the fire is not quenched. I'm not a smoker, but I've seen the pictures that the health boards now put on cigarette packets. Why are they doing that? They're issuing a warning to somebody. If you smoke these cigarettes, this picture of your lungs may be your reality. A dramatic way to try and encourage someone towards a different habit. Jesus uses this graphic language so that we will take hell seriously. That as he teaches about hell in the Gospels, we discover a place of conscious, eternal torment. A place where God's active punishment is felt for all eternity. It's a place of absolute And so Jesus uses this graphic imagery in order to wake us up and in order to change our priorities 
sometimes we can become so fixed on the now that we forget about what, what comes next, what happens when we die. And Jesus is reminding us of these uh, two eternal realities. He's exposing the danger to show us the need of rescue. And of course, Jesus comes to be the rescuer. He is the real savior to the greatest problem that all of us face. And so Jesus teaches about hell for that reason. J.I. Packer, uh, the biblical scholar, uh, says this, which I find really helpful. Uh, the purpose of the Bible teaching about hell is to make us appreciate, thankfully embrace, and rationally prefer the grace of Christ that saves us from hell. It is really a mercy to mankind that God in Scripture is as explicit about hell. We cannot say we have not been warned. And indeed, here we've been warned by the loving Lord Jesus. So we need the teaching of hell because Jesus teaches about hell. Uh, we also need it because uh, the reality of hell teaches us that sin is serious. Now, we're in the middle of Jesus uh, teaching his disciples from verse 33 onwards. And really what he's been saying to them is that there are, there are three disasters uh, for church mission that can happen within a Christian community. One is when you start fighting over rank and greatness. Uh, one is where there is rivalry and them and us attitudes, and we thought about those last week. Uh, but the third disaster is when even within the church there's a lack of holiness and people get casual uh, about sin. And so uh, Jesus issues this stark warning to his own people uh, in the first instance. Let's look at what he says to them. In verse 42, he says, If anyone causes one of these little ones who believe in me to sin, it would be better for him to be thrown into the sea with a large millstone tied around his neck. So here's what he's saying. Here's the warning. Your sin might make someone else turn from Jesus. And he's saying that's a dreadful offense to be avoided at all costs. How can that happen? Well, perhaps. There's a younger Christian watching uh, an older Christian fall into sin or, or be guilty of hypocrisy. Uh, perhaps it's lack of care for uh, someone's weaker conscience. And somebody is led astray and somebody is led to walk away from Jesus. And so he issues a warning about our sin having consequences for others. He does a similar thing in verse 50. He talks about salt. Uh, salt intended to preserve and to add flavor. Salt is good, but if it loses its saltiness, how can you make it salty again? Have salt in yourselves and be at peace with each other. So he's saying to the church, our sin, if we start fighting amongst ourselves, if we start comparing and competing, if we get casual about sin, if we don't have peace, our sin as a church, as a community, might stop others from ever wanting anything to do with the Lord Jesus. We can be guilty of being unsalty. We don't preserve, we don't add flavor. We can be judgmental and, and hypocritical and, and mean-spirited and harsh. Not living like Jesus in such a way that somebody might look at the church and say, well, why in the world will we bother listening to what they have to say? Because they seem miserable and unpleasant and I want nothing to do with them. 
So there's a warning two ways. Our sin individually can cause others uh, to fall away. Our sin as a community can cause others uh, to never look at Jesus in the first place. And then in that middle section, from verse 43 to 48, he talks about the personal effect of sin. And he calls us to radical obedience. Um, Let's read verse 43. If your hand causes you to sin, cut it off. It's better for you to enter life maimed than with two hands to go into hell where the fire never goes out. So again, Jesus is saying there are two eternal destinies. There's no middle ground. There is, in verse 43, life. Further on, talked about the kingdom of God. There is the reality of of heaven with God. There is perfection to look forward to an eternity marked by love and joy and fellowship and community. For there is hell. There is unending punishment for our willful sin and rebellion. And what Jesus is saying, that we should do anything that it takes to ensure that we find the way to life. If our hand causes us to sin, cut it off. Maybe we know the story It was then turned into a a movie in a book, 127 Hours, um, a a climber called Aaron Ralston, uh, who was canyoning or bouldering uh, in Utah, and and his arm got trapped, um, and he couldn't get it out, and he spent five days uh, there in the the blazing heat until he realized the only way he was going to get out of this alive was by cutting off uh, his own arm, and he had to make that choice, literally sawing off his arm in order to stay alive. Jesus is saying, cut off in our lives whatever would cause us to dishonor God, whatever would cause us to walk from God, whatever would cause us to look at things that are impure and unworthy of God, like a surgeon amputating an arm or a leg in order to save a life. Hell is serious. And sin is serious. I think sometimes we we struggle uh, with the reality of hell because we fail in the first place to take the holiness of God seriously. Uh, we think about sin the way perhaps we think about a parking ticket or a speeding thing. Everybody does it. It's no big deal. We fail to take the seriousness of sin seriously. And Jesus is looking to correct our thinking by giving us these stark images and stark warnings. One of the things that he wants to encourage in us is a healthy fear of sin. It's true sometimes to have a healthy fear. And sin is something we are to be afraid of. Um, Perhaps you saw the story in the news this week of the man in the the Czech Republic uh, who kept a couple of lions uh, as household pets. Uh, He used to walk them uh, down the street and he fed them. They were in the house and garden with him. It only became uh, public knowledge because one of those lions uh, mauled him to death. There are some things that we don't mess around with and we need to have a healthy fear of. Uh, one of the images uh, that God gives to Cain, actually, uh, in Genesis chapter 4, is of sin as being like a lion. He tells Cain to, to watch out. Uh, sin is like a lion crouching at your door, it seeks to destroy you. And Cain is invited to seek to master sin. As the old Puritan John Owen said, be killing sin 
or it will be killing you. Jesus shows us sin is serious. The cross of Jesus shows that sin is serious. What's happening on the cross as Jesus dies? Jesus is facing the curse. He goes under the curse of God for disobedience. Not because Jesus has done anything wrong. He is sinless and perfect, but he does that in the place of his people. We find Jesus crying out, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Jesus is cut off and abandoned at the cross because God, the holy God, can have nothing to do with sin. And Jesus has become the sin bearer of the world there on the cross. But that's not all we see at the cross. The cross also shows us the love of God because Jesus is willing to go there. The Father is willing to send Jesus uh, to stand in our place, uh, to take our punishment in order to, to give us forgiveness, in order to save us from our sin and to save us from hell. Jesus goes to the place of hell and punishment for us. We need hell to remind us that sin is serious. We also need hell because it reminds us that sharing the gospel is urgent. I think one of the most convicting things that I've read in a number of occasions, I read it again a couple of weeks ago, um, a quote from uh, the magician um, Penn Jillette. There's a magician duo, Penn and Teller. Well, Penn Jillette, who's not a Christian, uh, he said this in an interview once. Uh, How much do you have to hate somebody uh, to believe that there is a heaven and hell, but not to tell them because of social awkwardness. Sometimes we forget just how urgent the gospel is. And I find that kind of quote really convicting. I wonder uh, if you're a Christian here today, do you identify with this uh, missionary who is speaking this week saying, why is it that I am willing to share my life with another person, but I often hesitate to share my God with that person? Being honest, there are many things that can get in the way of sharing the gospel, whether it's fear, whether it's questions of, is this the right time? Whether it's just a sense of politeness or social awkwardness that cause us to say nothing. And when we do that, what's happening? We are lessening that sense that this is a life and death situation, that our gospel message has a life and death urgency attached to it. We know as Christians that we're called to be marked by by love and care. Um, But if our care only extends to the physical and never extends to the spiritual and the eternal, then our love is out of balance. That it's not enough just to care for people's bodily needs. We also need to care for their souls, to care for their salvation. And again, Jesus is teaching his disciples and he's teaching his church about hell in order to soften and melt our hearts. And um, to get us to that place where, where we would love others more than our maybe our reputation or our sense of dis-ease about having those conversations. That he's reminding us about hell to give us a sense of urgency uh, to replace a sense of apathy, 
And sometimes we can be so concerned, well, I have the right answers. What if the conversation goes in this direction? Uh, we get really nervous, so we don't even begin. Rather than trusting Jesus to send the Spirit to help us, and trusting that even in the mess, even if we don't get things right, God can still work and God can still be honored. Jesus teaches us about hell to shape our priorities and to shape our prayers for ourselves, that we would beg for a sense of urgency and to have soft hearts, but also that we'd be looking for opportunity to love our friends and our city more by talking about the gospel. That we'd be willing not just to share our lives with others, not just to meet physical needs, but we'd also be willing to share our God with our family and our friends and to seek to meet people's spiritual needs. I find this a profoundly uh, convicting and challenging section, but I don't want us to, to go away from here feeling motivated by a sense of, of guilt. Oh, I've done really badly and I, I know I should do better. Because that's where maybe our hearts instinctively go. And I'm certainly not speaking as somebody who, who, who's got this sorted and, and, and somebody who finds it easy to have those kind of conversations. But Jesus is saying, here's our goal. Our goal is, first of all, to, to care for people, uh, to see the urgency of sharing the gospel. But, but ultimately, as Christians, we want to delight in Jesus so much that it would be our instinct, it would be our greatest joy to share Jesus with others, where sharing Jesus would complete our own joy of our salvation. But one last thing to say about the importance of hell is that hell, perhaps surprisingly, helps us appreciate God's love. One of the things about Christianity is that it is a, a rescue religion. Um, we don't say do better and try harder. Our message is that as people, we are spiritually dead and we need a, a resurrection. We need help from outside of us. And Jesus' teaching on sin and hell reveals the danger clearly to us and that left to ourselves, our default destination for eternity would be hell. That we need a rescuer or universally we stand condemned. We have failed to love God with our heart and soul and mind and strength, and we failed to love our neighbor as ourselves all of the time. But hell also explains to us Jesus' journey to the cross. Jesus goes to the cross in order to defeat the powers of evil and darkness by absorbing them into himself and by facing the punishment for our sins. Jesus on the cross tastes hell in concentrated form in those three hours of darkness as he carries the sin of the world as our loving substitute. And when we realize why Jesus goes to the cross, it helps us to understand more of the love of God. I listened to a lecture this week um, from uh, Tim Keller addressing seminary students um, and he said the doctrine of hell is a doorway into the love of God. Precisely for that reason, it shows the depth, it shows the extent of God's redeeming love. And also, it stops our hearts from growing cold to God when, he re when we realize what he has lovingly saved us from Charles Dickens' novel, A Tale of Two Cities, 
climaxes uh, with uh, Charles Darnay, one of the main characters in a prison cell uh, during the French Revolution, awaiting his execution the following morning. Uh, Well, into uh, the prison comes his friend, uh, Sidney Carton, uh, and he drugs Darnay, uh, he takes his clothes, he has another friend uh, drag Darnay out of the prison uh, and off to freedom, and Sidney Carton uh, stands in the place of his friend and goes to the executioner's block uh, the following morning in in a wonderful moment of self-giving love. And it's a small picture of Jesus' love for us in the gospel. Uh, Jesus' sacrifice that is intended to melt and to warm our hearts. As we see Jesus becoming our substitute, going to the place of death to rescue us from eternal condemnation, from a living death, we see Jesus become cursed so we might be blessed. So let's hear this loving warning from Jesus, this loving and reliable guide. To look on the cross as God's loving response to our death sentence and to trust him as Lord and Savior. 